Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. It is time to bring the orange once again, somebody that I've wanted to get on the program for a while because he is a fascinating guy, Mr. Nick Psaki, who is our principal SE for the federal space. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. You digging out of the snow? Did you guys hit, get hit with the snow over the last couple of days, the snowpocalypse, or was that Just, just a wee enough? bit. So because people were able to leave a footprint in the snow, um, they shut down Washington, D.C. I've been to D.C. When, this, when there's flakes, everybody just takes off. I mean, it was 10 in the morning. We were driving some kind of SE training at a prior company, and all of a sudden flakes came down and the room empty. Everybody just just headed out on the freeway. Not, not, not a lot of uh, core competency in dealing with the white stuff there, is there? Uh, you know, it's it's, a, it's an abundance of caution. So Adam, an abundance of caution, we make sure that we uh, we stay safe. Absolutely. Well, give give the crew uh, that, that are listening a little bit of an intro to your background. You come as someone with with huge credibility. I love bringing people that have credibility because you've, you've worked in the federal space. You've lived it, you've breathed it, you've done it. And then we were fortunate enough here at Pure to, to get you for the last you know, five or so years and, and to bring all that expertise. But uh, talk about your background. I, I love hearing this story. So, so it's a checkered past. A long time ago, uh, back in the early 90s, I worked in, uh, in graphics software and then I went to work for HP. Um, so I was, you know, doing raster graphics processing, sort of the precursors to, to Photoshop and stuff like that. And that's where I really started having an appreciation for different types of data, how dense graphics data is and storage challenges and data movement. I went to HP and I was a, I was a customer support engineer um, and uh, spent about a year in a Cubex 9000 and I decided I didn't like that anymore. So I joined the <laughs> army as an yep. infantryman because I like to be outside and doing fun things. I uh, spent about 10 years doing that, but your IT past will always find you out in the army. The old joke was never let anybody know that you can type. Well, in my case, it was never let anybody know you know how to wire and run a network. There you go. Um, so as I as I progressed through my career, I got more and more involved in uh, in system design, engineering, architecture, and ultimately for my last four years, I uh, I ran the enterprise infrastructure for the Army Intelligence Branch. So literally, like you know, everything from wire and wireless and satellite connectivity to system types for data analytics and uh, virtualization, enterprise infrastructure, all that kind of fun stuff for an organization that has you know offices in 193 countries around the world. 54,000 employees and, and a really big budget. Yeah. So it was, you know, when I retired, I, I realized that I wanted to do one, one thing, focus on one thing and really focus on data as a wholesale commodity. How do you make it easy? How do you make it fast? How do you fix the broken leg of the IT triangle? You know, compute was fast, networks were fast. Unfortunately, data service, what people think of as storage was, was not keeping up with the rate of change and improvement across the rest of the infrastructure, nor with the sheer volume and velocity of data that was now coming into enterprises for uh, decision-making and decision support. So that, that led me into flash storage. And, then, and literally since I retired in January of 2014, I haven't done anything else. I worked for a company called Skyera, who was uh, then bought by HGST. And when you work for a small company of about 120 people and you get assimilated by the Borg, and then, you know, that didn't really resonate with why I retired they, or what they, my they post- take over everything. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. My post-career goals were. So um, I was very fortunate uh, to encounter Pure Storage at a time when they were starting their federal practice six years ago. And for better or worse, they hired me and I've been, uh, I've been <laughs> here ever since. And it's been a phenomenal journey. It's, it's been a great joy to be a part of a, of a company that's grown from being you know, the scrappy young 
upstart technology innovator to being uh, one of the the titans of innovation and data service to, and, and really modern transformation for our space. And it's been been fun to watch, been what, fun to be a part of. What's changed, right? I mean, if you look at the the, the product set and the the hallmarks of, you know, kind of you mentioned cause, right? When we were talking mm-hmm. before this, right? And then things that cause is broad, it's all about, you know, in, in intuitive features, but outside of the products, which, you know, those hallmarks have been pretty consistent of the effortless and efficient and evergreen right. types of things we do. What else has changed? I think, you know, we've preserved the culture as well, you know, which we, we you and I talk about, but um, what are some of the things that stand out to you over those, those four or five or six years? We still have the most brilliant engineering talent on the mm-hmm. planet. We still yeah. have one of the most, uh, I wouldn't say we're aggressive, but man, we are agile and adaptable in the go-to-market organization. We are willing to take dares. We're willing to try new things. You know, the, the, that spirit of innovation drives everything about how we operate, who we, who we hire, and uh, the fearlessness with which people will try new things. From the engineering side, you know, uh, some of it looks like magic. Some of it looks like a dare. But the truth is, is we make some of the best calculated technical decisions in the world. Okay, we're, we knew we were going to do NAND from, from the very get-go, or I should say memory-based storage, because Cos yeah. has always left right. the, the door open to, sure. they make something better, faster, and cheaper, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, you know, so the, the reasons why we founded the company remain equally valid to this day, which sort of tells you that we did the right things, okay? You know, build a better product, deliver a better customer experience, and, uh, and uh, deliver a better business model. You, you can't go wrong with that. And it, and it just still informs everything that we do. So those things haven't changed. Mm-hmm. But what has changed is we've seen the recognition in the market space. And really, it was the biggest bet that we ever made um, 11 years ago, that the need for high performance, accessible, adaptable, sustainable data service was going to become acutely critical uh, to the progress of, of business and really IT enterprise worldwide. And to do that, you had to switch from you know, spinning disk to yeah. flash. Now flash is no longer exotic. In fact, it's prevalent. Um, and that's what we're seeing today is we really led the, led the charge or, uh, or we're ahead of the wave and creating the capacity for people to really leverage all of their data in the most effective and most affordable ways possible. Yeah, it's really fun to be to, to have led that charge, and it's no longer like an if when kind of thing. It's it's you know it's mainstream, it's there, and some of the early investments we made and decisions we made are still things that make it really easy for us to to provide that you know simplified user experience um, for everybody. Um, speaking of change, some interesting stuff going on in uh, your area right now. We've had a administration change, and you know it's not entirely on the subject of of data management, but I'm curious relative to administrations, does that impact um, what types of decisions and funding is made around technology? Or is that always going to be there? And there's just kind of subtle differences between, you know, who's at the top? It, it does. And it, sometimes it's the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I, I, I didn't grow up in the Washington, D.C. area at all. So I should probably begin with watching this stuff up close um, is, is really different than hearing about it on the news. Yeah. Um, so watching, you know, the, the election, the transition, uh, and the, the new coming, the new incoming administration established in their policy priorities and has been, has been very interesting. And what, you know, some of them are calling for radical expansions of things like the technology modernization fund, which is a shared fund across all the, the executive branch 
or investing in uh, transformational technologies to improve their operations and services. Uh, that used to be about $1.4 billion per year. The Biden administration is calling for a $9 billion fund. So they're really trying to make it meaningful. We've seen mm -hmm. tremendous transformation in contracting and acquisition processes, and really responding to the availability of as-a-service offerings driven by the cloud service providers. But obviously that, that tails, tailors very nicely to how we offer both on-prem and off-prem yeah. uh, data service interoperability and connectivity. So it creates a tremendous space for um, pure as a service. Um, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google are dominating uh, the government cloud space, but the government also made a shift in their cloud first posture to uh, cloud smart. So it was yes. recognition that about 20% of the world's largest IT enterprise would never be able to get off the ground and into the cloud. Well, that, that's good because we, we have the capacity and we tell the story all the time in the context of the modern data experience of how do you sim simply unify uh, your data service and your data experience? How do you make the infrastructure infinite and invisible, as, as Charlie said. And that's, uh, that message has resonated profoundly with, uh, with a wide variety of our customers across um, the federal government in the United States, in Canada, and across you know, state, local, and higher education as well. Because in a lot of ways, you know, the 50 states and the seven territories are all very much like little mini countries of their own. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's good for large scale enterprise and is, is generally also good for government and vice versa. And it just trickles down. So it's, I was going to uh, ask if there's any subtleties about, you know, you spend time in commercial and obviously a lot of time in, in the government space. Mm -hmm. How different is it? I think people have this perception that maybe it's vastly different, but really the government is just kind of it's a it's a big enterprise with a big budget and they have the same needs, the same requirements. And then maybe there's more there's more steps in the process or more paperwork or whatever. But at the end of the day, they've, they've got, you know, needs that they need to satisfy. Yeah. And so the government is is for all intents and purposes, a really large, heavily regulated enterprise. Mm. Uh, it's got a four point four trillion dollar a year annual budget. The states in aggregate have another $4.4 trillion of annual spend as well. Uh, the U.S. government spends um, north of $150 billion a year on IT hardware, software, and professional services. It's a big, I mean, it makes the Googleplex look cute. Yeah. Um, and, and it's also the oldest IT enterprise in the world. So they've been doing compute, networking, and storage for well, if you talk about networking since 1834, when right. Samuel F.B. Morse first uh, sent digital information electronically over a, over a cable. So, Vintage networking, yeah, yeah. You know, you've got the IRS and the Veterans Administration who have to keep records for 100 years. And if you take a look, you know, you see that story that, you know, the oldest female Marine died at 106 years of age. And you go, oh, so that's why they keep records for 100 yes. years. Mm -hmm. But everything was paper back when these people first got social security cards, as an example. So there's a lot of data transformation, data movement, data migration, warehousing, harvesting. And, you know, with the advent of things like artificial intelligence, uh, extracting additional value and richness out of that data in order to drive better services and better insight um, to more efficiently spend that, you know, enormous amount of money that the, that the government has and to provide provide better everything. Okay. So that's not any different. Yeah. It's not a fortune 500 company. Yeah. It's about efficiency and providing better services to, to end users. Right. When you, right. When you get down to it. And then, and then the, you know, the velocity of our deals tends to be rather similar to large enterprise too. So yeah. a government deal for us, you know, anything North of a million, well, anything North of $10 million is going to take 24 months to get done. Um, 
nobody spends money casually. Uh, government officials don't spend taxpayer dollars casually, and large enterprises don't spend the shareholders' investment money very cheap, very profligately either. So, yeah. you know, there's there's a lot of parallels, and then and then there's intersects as well. So I get a lot of calls um, around the world from our teams asking about specific regulatory items and security considerations, and really their security policy considerations. It's like, how do you meet GDPR constraints in this environment, or what are the impacts to SolarWinds Orion on uh, on our platforms? And yeah. those are yeah. those are all things I I enjoy this aspect of my job um, potentially more than anything else. It's the ability to to support each other across territories, across borders, and to gain an understanding of what matters to customers outside of my own space. So it is it's a really great aspect of of being. As, as tightly knit and coherent a company as we are, that we we just sort of seamlessly reach out to the resource that can help us. And we just, we don't even think about it. It's natural for us. Yeah, well, and it's great to hear. I mean, you're not siloed. You certainly could just get stuck in your, you know, well, I just do federal and, you know, I'm not going to talk, but you have to, you have to share that information to learn yeah. about other things that are going on. And as you said, if, if, you know, the government space and the commercial space are not all that different, and in fact are very similar, then there's going to be things that you might see in one or the other that that would benefit you know the other teams that are that are you know working on that. Um, okay. One of the things I love is is the talk track. You know, you've been here five or six years and you've kind of developed you know how you go and engage and not maybe just mm -hmm. with with federal government, but you know anybody because I know you're a great resource for all. Um, but you have kind of this five S's mentality. And oh, you, yeah. were just, you were just speaking to security, which is a great one to, to uh, start with, because it seems like every day we're reading about ransomware attacks and, you know, security also has to include things around compliance. And I think when we, you know, when we spoke in the lead up to this, you kind of joked and said, hey, look, if you're regulated or audited, even if you're in commercial, you have to you know, deal with this. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I, I would assume this is one of the first issues, you know, that, that's there when, when the government is looking at, you know, what, where does security come into play? Yeah. So, you know, the U.S. government does you all kinds of favors by writing uh, voluminous standards on how to do <laughs> the implementations of, you know, secure systems and hardening and things of that nature. But when I was, when I was in government and I had to, you know, obviously I had to buy stuff, I had to buy services, I had to sustain things and I had a, I had a finite amount of money to do that with. Um, so everybody wants to sell you their stuff. It's fair enough. And I need to buy stuff. Right. But what were the five things that really mattered to me that you had to sort of satisfy before we could get into the conversation of where we could apply you within our enterprise? And I, I refined this down to there were really five, five things and there are five S's, um, that get you to the sixth S, but it's, you know, in government, it's always security first. And I, I worked in, you know, secure enterprises, therefore security was always first. Um, and it's an old axiom in the army that it's security first, last, and always. It should always be your first consideration. So yeah. the second one was um, speed, or I'm sorry, scalability. Um, I take that back. The second S is always simplicity. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> security, simplicity, um, scalability, uh, sustainment, and support. And those two are grouped together for a reason, yeah, which I won't go into. Um, and then the last one was speed. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you can be more secure, much simpler to install, operate, and maintain, more scalable than the solutions I have today, which allows me to, to do more in less space or more with less cost, 
data center consolidation, the reduction of power consumption, footprint, cabling, and the complexity, those are all, those, sa those save money. They are immense money savers when you actually total up the second and third order effects. Uh, if you can uh, provide uh, unparalleled sustainment and support of your platforms and reduce my TCO or my technical debt, you know, I, I joke that Evergreen is actually a technical debt cancellation program yeah, and yeah. people just like get it. They're like, that's right. You're not, you're not paying tomorrow's dollars to sustain yesterday's technology in an escalating cost basis. Well, double, um, double click into that. Cause I, some sure. of the, some of the numbers you've talked about, you know, you, you, you've talked about how, you know, 80% or some, <sighs> you know, astronomical number, yeah. right. Is, is just to manage and sustain, sustain right. those things that have already been acquired, purchased, and to operate. And so if you got a budget of, I don't know. If you've got billion, a budget of, of $10 billion, yeah. you're paying $7 billion to pay for old stuff, a great deal of which you may not be using anymore. Right. So then you have your other um, ongoing operations, military manpower construction and other contingency types of things. That money goes out the door. So out of a $10 billion notional budget, um, you've got maybe $200 million for actual innovation. And when your enterprise is the size of the government enterprises, that's a pittance. It is hard to do anything innovative, yeah. especially in the framework of how difficult innovation actually is um, within large organizations. And it's, it's not unique to government. Big organizations just have a lot of friction and process. Um, so, you know, there you are. Your $10 billion just whittled itself down to like two-tenths of a percent <laughs> of, of what you need in order to actually affect you know, moving forward. So you're, you've got this 70, 65 to 70% sustainment boat anchor around your neck that is breaking um, every, every chance you could have to improve. So if you can free up, and storage is a large portion of an IT budget as an example. Right, right. If you can free up 30% of your money to go actually do innovation initiatives and trying new things, you can innovate at a breathtaking pace. Mm -hmm. And government agencies and others are the same benefits that our large enterprise telcos, data center provide, data service providers, ISPs, and large enterprise customers have have adapted to, and and benefited from by adopting pure storage into their environments. It's it's really breathtaking. I used to take a look at the things that we did, or I should say the way our customers were able to operate and consolidate and become more efficient and their cost savings when I got here, because as a former government guy, I knew that if I could have that conversation with a CIO and a CFO, mm -hmm. we were going to have a extraordinarily interesting conversation. So the five S's sustainment and support are huge and yeah. then speed. It's got to be faster than what I had before or or this is really not worth talking about because at the end of the day, I have to make everything move. I have to make data move more efficiently. What I mean, so for the government, what is speed? You know, speed is speed, right? And we go back to the old days. It was like IOPS yeah. and all these other things. But yeah. for them, it's got to be about you know response times. Like there's it's massive amounts of people latency, right? right. It's, it's at, at the wholesale yeah. at the wholesale level of data, which is kind of like what we work at, right? Um, we're, we're really like train cars that move data. How you grind that and make you know make flour and make cakes and stuff like that. That's what the end users do with applications. Those are the line of business owners. What we have to ensure is that no matter which application, business unit, service, platform, what have you, we get the data to where it needs to be as quickly as possible. So really low latency, really high volume. And it's gotta be really simple to link it up to all of these things. And that, those are things that Pure just does brilliantly well. 
And, you know, we've taken a lot of lessons from our customers to inform how we do our product design, but at government scale, and especially in like time sensitive or decision sensitive types of operations, you know, the faster you can know something, the, the more efficiently and more effectively you can accomplish your mission or avoid risk or keep things from even becoming contingencies because you, you know, knowledge is power. Yeah. And if you know things then you can make smart decisions. And that's actually the whole principle behind you know, why we do intelligence. I was, I was an intelligence analyst for many years. And the whole idea is so that decision makers can make smart decisions to mitigate risk and get ahead of bad things happening. Yeah. And do but it every business, every business informed. leader does that too. Right. Right. No quick and, in, but informed along with the, with the velocity, right. Right. The, that you need. Um, you talked about as a service earlier and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes uh, folks get down the rabbit hole of the whole CapEx versus OpEx thing. And really, it's not really what it's all about. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a feature of it, but really the as a service comes down to your S about scale, which relates directly to risk, right? I mean, it is a, a risk of being caught without not enough storage or without being able to manage your budget effectively. Is, is the light bulb going on for, for some of the folks you're talking yeah. to Brad, about what that actually means? Absolutely. So the whole idea of being able to do on-prem on a subscription basis really bakes their noodles somewhat. I mean, the government has <laughs> always bought to own for forever. Everything was right. a CapEx purchase. Um, but the idea that you can get, you know, X number of petabytes for, for Y number of thousands, thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars per month completely changes how they do their costing and how they do their budgeting. So it's the idea that you get best of breed technology that sustains itself in place for, you know, relatively known cost models. It reduces a tremendous amount of uncertainty and provides a tremendous amount of linearity and clarity around your budgeting metrics. So, so from the financial aspect, you know, it's a real thing. People acquire technology with money. Being able to know exactly how much money that's going to run you now and for forever fundamentally changes the characteristic of government uh, acquisitions and, and really organizational acquisitions in general. So PaaS is incredibly attractive because it de-risks everything. Mm-hmm. You don't have to hire people to sustain it. It's part of the service agreement. You don't have to worry about equipment failures. It's part of the service agreement. Capacity expansion, capacity reduction, peaks in usage, increases in utilization over time, all the things that we track in Pier 1 for like busyness and upgrade life cycles and everything, we take care of all of it. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's this, this follow-on effect of being able to do more with not just less money, but with fewer resources, including man hours, just to make the infrastructure go. Because so much of an investment of an organization is literally wrestling the infrastructure into submission. Yeah. And then, you know, turning wrenches on it, as I like to say, changing the oil, rotating the tires. That's not a productive use of, of people time when what those people could be doing is applying themselves to innovating around solving organizational problems or building the next. And we've seen, you know, from our own experience at Pure, customers and agencies who've been able to do that to shift the, the focus and the effort of their people to forward looking instead of today or rearward looking has has been incredibly powerful. Yeah, when I think of citizens, we all want the government to be as efficient as possible. Yeah. Right? So if we can add in simplicity and de-risk and, and get them, you know, focusing forward and not just on how do I maintain the legacy tech that I've got, that that benefits us all, um, you know, in, in the future. Um, yeah. And kind of related to that subject, 
How and where do you see AI and machine learning and analytics adoption going on? I know it's a loaded question and it's, again, one of those super you know, trendy topics that's out there. But if there's hundreds of years of data, whether in paper or digital form, there's certainly things that I think that could be done on that for, for learning and for efficiency. So you know, the, the U.S. government has been in the forefront of artificial intelligence research, exploration and development for longer than literally anybody. Um, and part of it is the richness of the data sets, just you know, the volume, velocity, and variety of that data is, a, is an incredibly bountiful training ground uh, for a variety of different use cases. But mm-hmm. you know, we, we use technology so that we can know new things, so that we can innovate um, in human ingenuity. And to that end, the government isn't doing anything different fundamentally than, you know, page AI is a really good example. It's one of my favorite, my favorite corollaries to draw, you know, uh, pages up there doing uh, computer vision to understand the evolution of cancer and the pathology of cancer, really. Um, so they have hundreds of millions of slides. They're incredibly high resolution um, pictures. And then you've got algorithms that are analyzing and assessing how a given set of cancers evolve over time. But what you've really got when you think about it is a computer that is looking at a set of of data to define um, predictively what a result and an outcome are gonna be. So whether that computer vision algorithm is looking at cancer pathology or it's looking at things on the ground, like people and cars moving as an example, or uh, changes in um, forest thickness and forest density, that's kind of all the same thing. Yeah. Um, and so this, this opportunity to start doing, you know, um, adaptation of algorithms to different problem sets and use cases, or the algorithms adapting themselves to new problem sets and use cases, um, because they are artificially intelligent, is really exciting. And the government has uh, a vast library of open data sets at, uh, at data.gov that virtually anybody can download and start training against. And some of the, some of the data is valuable. Some of the data is maybe not relevant to your particular use case, but it's, it's there and it's free and it's amazing. I'm kind of excited to see, you know, once we start applying AIs towards uh, the U.S. code, it'll be interesting to get a plain language reading of what the law actually means. Yeah, no, there's, <laughs> there's untapped potential in that space, it sounds like. And Absolutely. And so it is is open as well. And I guess, you know, kind of closing thoughts on that, on that mm-hmm. theme, what are, what are you most excited about for where Pure is positioned right now to, so, to, you know, to work with the government and, you know, related to the five S's we've been describing, but you sure. know, when you go to work every day, what are, what are you really excited about when you're working with these agencies and, and, and government folks? So, so externally, the U S government looks like a monolith, mm-hmm. right? But it is the most parochial set of tiny little classrooms on the planet. Um, it's a quilt more than a blanket, and it's an immense mosaic of agencies, each of which have their own funding. Own funding leads to own data, own data silos, own systems. Yeah. Uh, but I think we provide, we, and we've done this really well as we articulate the modern data experience and then demonstrate it in action. When we talk about breaking down silos, we're really not talking about breaking them down. We're talking about unifying them. Mm. Um, so we remove the, the concept of, of a data silo altogether. So the ability to unify your data holdings and your data set um, to break down the on-premises and off-premises data, uh, barriers by being able to architect and orchestrate data across service layers rather than fixed devices and protocols. When we show that, people start to go, that's what I've been 
working for, for in some cases, decades. I've been trying to get to this spot, but we're able to show them how to do it. It's not just the art of the possible, it's the art of the demonstrable today. Mm -hmm. And I think that we do this, we tell this story, we, we visualize, we articulate this vision better than anybody else. But more importantly, we have engineered the technology to make it happen. And some of that is our own innovation. And a lot of it has also been the willingness to listen to our customers who do this at scale. Yeah. You, know, our, you know, our customers like ServiceNow is an example who's talked mm -hmm. about us publicly. You know, they've driven, a, they've, they've steered us in a lot of directions where they, they needed us to be valuable to them. And we responded to that by going, by going that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, we fearlessly embrace our customers' needs and, and we adapt them and then generalize them so that they can be applicable and available for, for other customers. Because there are very few unique use cases in the world. Um, so if we do things that are good for one, very often we see the applicability and benefit to a broad array of other, other implementations. Yeah, customer first that scales is sort of the, the way I would, I would sum that up, which is uh, why we love working here, right? So. And, and I don't think anybody does it better than we do. No, no, no. It's, it's really is listening and putting into practice. It's not lip service. Um, awesome, man. Well, I am so happy we were able to do this. I always learn something from you. And uh, yeah, I, I go back to when we were, we were at that CISO summit, you know, a year or so ago. And yeah. It was a little slow. Yeah, the traffic wasn't that. And we uh, we talked for hours and hours. So, uh, you know, I think we could go on and on forever. But yeah, uh, so that's those shows are funny, right? The Gartner CISO Symposium yeah, like, or yeah. the Gartner CIO Symposium. You, you, you know, there'd be thousands of people walking by and almost nobody talks to you. But it's it's like, you know, the apple fell out of the tree and hit Newton on the head. Yeah. But at that kind of environment, something falls out of the sky and it's usually like a safe. Mm -hmm. Something massive lands in that one contact can make, you know, a, a tremendous uh, difference in terms of generating new business. So I always, I always think of those as very high value um, Absolutely. engagement opportunities because everybody there, uh, you know, represents their, their company or their organization with tremendous authority. And you really get some transformational conversations with those guys about what their desires are, where they want to go, um, what they're going to be doing five years from now, it's a visionary kind of conversation. And those are the ones that are often the most enjoyable to have. Yeah. And that's why we show up. Well, uh, thanks Nick for the time. I appreciate it. We will get you back on here again in the near, near future. Uh, anything you want to plug where people can go find you, Twitter, blogs, anything like that, uh, if they want to learn more. So on Twitter, I'm at pure Saki. I've got right. a couple of blog posts that are probably archived in the very dusty section at this point. And you can reach me at Saki, P-S, as in pure storage, A-K-I, at purestorage.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And, and thanks, everybody out there listening. Um, <clears throat> keep telling a colleague, tell friends. We will keep bringing the great guests like Nick back. Really loved getting your insights today. And with that, we will wrap. For Pure Storage and Nick Saki, this is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you.